Well, in this series, we have been looking at God's solutions to our problems, our troubles, our struggles, our issues of adversity in our lives. We've talked about what it means to deal with our anger, what it means to deal with our anxiety, what it means to deal when we are in times of anguish or we're alone or we're afraid. But this morning, what I want to do is I want to seek out the Scriptures and seek out God's answer as we have each and every week to learn what we need to do when we become apathetic. In Webster's Dictionary, apathy has been defined as an issue of a lack of interest or enthusiasm. Now, we're apathetic about a lot of things. Let me share some of the things I'm apathetic about. First of all, I'm apathetic about Chinese food. I know a lot of you love Chinese food. It just doesn't do much for me. It's there. Uh, it, it goes down just fine. I don't have any digestive issues with it. It just doesn't do much for me. There's not much enthusiasm when someone says, let's go get Chinese. I'm the same way, amen. I'm the same way when it comes to roller coaster rides. I watch people ride roller coasters and they're filled with all kinds of enthusiasm and excitement. And I think I just paid $70 for a day where people are going to slap me around and make me feel sick to my stomach. It does nothing for me. So I usually am the one that watches the strollers and carries the coats and the purses. And that's my day at amusement parks. I am apathetic. My wife loves all this new British television, whether it's talking about the crown or some abbey in a place called Downton. It does nothing for me. I know some of you love that stuff, but I get no enthusiasm. I don't get excited about it one bit. One other area, I do not get enthused about American League Baseball. It does nothing for me. All right? I, I want to see the pitcher actually have to bat, okay? Uh, these are things. Now, when we talk about things that we're unenthusiastic about, it's okay when they're preferences. It's okay to disagree. That's what makes us a part of this grand mosaic that God has made us. Some things we like, some things we don't. And, and sometimes we marry those who like the exact opposite things that we like, and God gets a good hearty laugh out of that. But what about in areas where apathy can't be a part of our lives? Some of us are apathetic about work. And we go to work each and every day, and we do the bare minimum, and we don't really care whether or not the company or the place where we work prospers or not. It doesn't take very long for our boss or supervisor, maybe a customer, to start feeling like we don't care. It won't be long before that evaluation will come back needing to increase our enthusiasm, our desire to work. How about you who are going back to school in less than three weeks? Yes, less than three weeks, kids. It won't take long for your teachers and your parents to recognize you're not giving it your all. Your heart's not in it. That's what report cards are all about. Are you apathetic in your studying? Are you apathetic when it comes to your education? Or are you really doing the best that you can do in it? Let's dig a little deeper. What happens when we're apathetic in our relationships, especially the real important ones? Moms and dads, are you apathetic in your parenting? Your kids will know that. What about in your marriages? 
How many of us are going through the motions? Maybe we've been married for some amount of time and, and we remember what we committed to. We remember what we gave vows to, that we were going to stay committed and zealous for this love relationship. We remember those first handful of dates and the butterflies we used to get. We remember uh, the feelings we had on the honeymoon and all of that. And now years into it, we find ourselves just going through the motions. We have this ho-hum attitude. Well, apathy doesn't just affect us in our preferences or even in the important relationships of our earthly ministries. The greatest place where apathy comes into our lives is spiritually. For many of us, we have made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. And when we started that relationship, it was red hot. We loved reading about Jesus, talking about Jesus, praying to Jesus. We were red hot in our desire to let everybody know that we're followers of Jesus Christ. We wanted to be with other people who love to talk about and sing about and live lives about Jesus. But somewhere along the line, after maybe years of going through all of that, that flame began to flicker. And maybe for some, maybe that flame has gone out. And maybe you find yourself a bit more apathetic this morning than maybe you ever really realized. Maybe that vitality, that vibrancy that once characterized your relationship with Jesus Christ is somewhere in a review mirror. It's in the far past. Well, you're not the only one who has struggled with apathy. Anyone who's followed Jesus Christ for any amount of time knows moments of apathy can come, and we're all tempted to that apathy. In fact, in Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 14, we see a church that was known for being apathetic. Jesus calls them lukewarm. So what can we learn this morning to receive the help that we need to not live lives of apathy. Let's get help from God's Word this morning. Turn, if you haven't yet, to Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 14. Here's how it goes. And to the angel of the church at Laodicea, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. What's being introduced right now is Jesus. Jesus is taking center stage. And Jesus has a word for the people at Laodicea, and through the Holy Spirit, has a word for each and every one of us this morning. Here are his words. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you might see. Those whom I love, I reprove and I discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. 
he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we need your help this morning. We are apathetic people. Maybe in different levels of apathy, but surely each and every one of us could grow in our vibrance and health in our walk with you. So we need your help. We need your spirit to lead and guide. We need to get rid of things that keep us from living what you want us to live, our our best lives now. And so, Lord, I pray that we would hear from you this morning. So take away any distractions. Open our hearts, our minds, our ears so that we may hear you. And Lord, let it be a time at the end of this message where we can commune with you, remembering what you've done. And because of what you've done, why we have the call to leave it all on the field and to give our all when it comes to our relationship with you. We love you and we praise you and we give you all the glory in the name of Christ Jesus our Lord and all God's people said, amen. The first thing I want to look at this morning on this subject of spiritual apathy is I want you to recognize it's a serious condition. Now, it doesn't say that it's serious, so where do we get this idea of it being serious? Uh, The idea comes in in Jesus' response to this condition. He says, I'm going to spit you out. That's a graphic term. In other translations, maybe you have, I want to vomit you out. Now, why is it? Why would Jesus have such a visceral reaction to this lukewarmness, this apathy that the church at Laodicea was exhibiting? Well, let's learn a little bit about it. First of all, we're in the midst of the first three chapters of the book of Revelation. And in the first three chapters, before we get to how the end of the world is going to take place, Jesus has a word for seven churches during the first century that resided in what is now modern-day Turkey or Asia Minor. And so these churches were peppered all over the area of Asia Minor. And to some churches, he gave great encouragement. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep fighting the good fight. You're doing everything great. In specific, he did this with Philadelphia. They loved one another, and they loved God, and he commended them for it. Other churches, he had no good words to say, Only words of exhortation and admonition saying you've got to fix what's going wrong. He does that with the church of Laodicea. Now, Laodicea, as you can see, is the southernmost of all the churches. And Laodicea was uniquely placed between two neighboring cities. The two neighboring cities were Heropolis and Colossae. Now, it found itself along the Lycus River. And so the problem was, is where Laodicea was, it had riches. In fact, it was known to be a gated community. The wealthy lived in Laodicea. The people with all the big houses and all the great uh, possessions resided in this incredible city of Laodicea. But it needed one thing, water. It didn't have water. And so it would receive its hot water from Heropolis. If you need to remember, H means hot. 
It got its cold water from Colossae. Now, we know about Colossae because of the church that was in Colossae, the people called the Colossians. Now, we know that the Colossians and the Laodiceans had some sort of relationship, maybe very similar to our relationship with our other congregations of Village Bible Church, because when the letter of Colossians is read to the church at Colossae, it says to make sure you get the letter that was written to the Laodiceans. And so they're sharing sermon series, if you will, and they're reading each other's mail so they can know how best to be the churches they can be. Colossae also gave cold water to the Laodiceans. So all throughout ancient Laodicea, in fact, if you were to go to Laodicea today, you would see aqueducts that would have brought the water that you see on the screen. I don't know if this was a hot water aqueduct or a cold water one, but you see all of these throughout the city of Laodicea. The problem was, is as those waters merged, the water that Laodicea would get would be lukewarm. And with their lukewarmness became problems. You see, what Jesus is going to tell us is that lukewarm is a problem. The reason why isn't per se temperature, but use. So let's just see a show of hands. How many of you were glad you got water in your shower today from Heropolis? I mean hot water, right? There's something glorious about a nice warm shower. You'd be a whole lot more awake today had you gotten your water from Colossae, amen? That would have woken you up. How many of you on a hot day like to have a cold glass of Colossian water, right? You go and you get that water from the tap. You don't turn it to warm. You don't turn it to hot. You turn it to cold. The idea here is that hot water has a use. Cold water has a use. But lukewarm water doesn't have much use at all. In fact, the problem with hot, or I'm sorry, with uh, lukewarm water was that people could get sick from it. It wasn't cold enough that it would uh, fight away any of the bacteria. It wasn't hot enough for the bacteria to be killed off. It was somewhere in the danger zone. And so this lukewarm water made people sick. Literally, it would cause people to spit it out of their mouths. So what Jesus is saying to the church at Laodicea is you're lukewarm. You don't have a use because you're apathetic. And there's a couple reasons why this is the case. So we've got to recognize we may not think being apathetic is a problem. Jesus says, I want to vomit you out of my mouth. But we've got to notice the second thing, not only that it's a serious condition, but it's subtly cultivated. What I mean by that is you don't go from a vibrant, healthy walk with Jesus one day, and then that night you turn to an apathetic spirit. This happens over a course of time. I'll never forget when Amanda got her cancer diagnosis. We were asking right on the heels of that all kinds of questions. And one of the first questions I asked in the doctor's office upon hearing that news was, how long has the cancer been there? Of which the doctor said, number one, we don't know, but probably for a lot longer than we would have ever been able to tell. That is that cancer subtly was growing in her body, and it came long before the symptoms of cancer really came about. That is how apathy in our spiritual lives comes about. It's subtle. 
It's there and we don't even know it. So let's look at a couple, and I want you to write these down. They're not in your outline for lines for you to fill out, but I want to give you three areas that you should be looking out for with regards to apathy in your Christian walk. Number one, familiarity or monotony. So just that's the first one, and it's kind of both sides of one coin. Familiarity and monotony. Let's talk about the Christian life. The Christian life, there is not a whole lot of new things under the sun when it comes to Christianity. We have been given the charge to read the Bible. We've been given the charge to pray. We've been given the charge to assemble with one another. We've been given the charge to live certain lives. We've been given a Bible of which there's no new additions coming out. What I mean by that is there's not a new book of the Bible that God is going to showcase here September 1st. I got this whole new book. Make sure you buy it. We're going to want to dig into it. We've got the same Bible that Christians have had for the last 2,000 years. And there's a familiarity. And the, the saying goes, familiarity breeds contempt. And so we've been doing this for a long time. And there's part of us that starts to get into this monotony. As a Christ follower, for as long as I can remember, I've gone to church. Now, I've gone to three particular churches in my life. And those churches, and let's just be honest, any other churches I visit, they all do the same thing. For 45 years, I've walked into a church, someone's shaken my hand and said good morning with a smile on their face. They handed me a bulletin. I walked into a big space where there was seating. We sat down, then we stood up and we sang. Someone prayed, someone read a scripture, and then we all sat down. And then someone got up and talked for a whole lot longer than I wanted them to talk, amen? Okay? And then someone would get up, say a couple closing words, maybe sing a song, and then we would be gone. That gets boring after a while, unless you're all in when it comes to Jesus. You can come up with a lot of things that you would rather do than do that over and over and over again. Let's be honest, there's not a lot of new and improved things to Christianity. What it is is to fall in love with Jesus. And for some, they say, you know what, I've been there, I've done that, I'm out. The second thing that we see is familiarity and monotony, but notice mediocrity. Oh, you know that you're starting to get lukewarm when your pursuit of Jesus becomes mediocre. When you were young in your faith, you spent a lot of time studying the Word. You had a hard time stopping your prayer time. Now, if you say a sentence or two in prayer, you're feeling good about yourself. If you can read through half of an Our Daily Bread, which is like this much of writing, you're feeling like a super saint because any more than that is too much for you to bear. Let's talk about small groups for a minute. Back in the day when you first started being a part of a small group, when, when it was new and when it was exciting, you filled out that paperwork called homework. You wanted to study the Word. You wanted to share your thoughts about God's Word to the rest of your group. Then somewhere along the line, the calendar of small groups, of getting together, some small talk, praying together as a group, opening the Word together, and then eating some snacks became monotonous and familiar. And so instead of digging into the Word, Instead of really focusing time and attention on praying for the people in your, in your group, 
You find yourself saying, hey, honey, can you drive the car to small group? I, I got to fill in some answers real quick because, you know, I don't want to be that guy that doesn't have my, my paperwork filled out. And so you very hastily and, and so illegibly so nobody can read your answers because really there's no real answer to what you're saying. You're just filling in space and you're not giving the excellence that God requires of us to be a follower of His. Let me just be brutally honest with you. One of the great temptations I have as a pastor now who has pastored and preached now 18, 19 years is to be mediocre in my preaching or at least my preparation. That is to not study the Word, not allow the Word to do its work on me, just to get through it. Okay, I'll put some stories together. I'll I'll make sure I, I just do a cursory glance at the text, just enough that people can't say I'm not doing my job. Why? Because there's other things I would rather do. It's amazing. Whenever I sit down at my desk to work on my message, it seems like a party breaks out all around me. And I want to leave, and I want to go do that. But, but I'm reminded that God wants His people to hear not mediocre sermons, but sermons of excellence. And my prayer is to always bring that to you. And the way that it's excellent is that it does a work on the preacher before it does a work on the people. Don't be mediocre in your response to God. The final thing that we see is the idea of familiarity and monotony, mediocrity and lethargy. This is the idea that it takes a a team of oxen to move you spiritually. And so maybe you're here today and you're like, man, I'm here. I call you, by the way. I dare you to bless me, people. You're here You're open to change, but it's going to take a move of God to do it. And right now, I'm not doing that. I'm not fascinating enough, interesting enough. Some of you have already checked out. Some of you may be on your phones looking, where can I go for lunch after this? Some of you now are doing that because I brought up lunch and you're there. All right? But it takes a lot to move you. It takes a lot to move you to start serving God and to be a part of your relationship with God. It is what that definition said, and I now know I blew the definition. Some of you are wondering what the lines are in the definition. It is the lack of motivation to serve God or to enjoy God. And you're there right now. You're indifferent to God. One of the struggles that we've had, let me just do some family business here for a moment. Village Bible Church across its campuses has absolutely and positively excelled during COVID. I I can't say enough, okay? You guys have done a phenomenal job. You you, you kept coming to church. You kept giving to the church. you You stayed engaged. And there's a lot of churches around that have come to the leadership of Village Bible Church and said, how are you doing that? We're in empty churches. Our coffers are all but empty as well because people aren't coming back. They're not coming back to church. And so we'll tell them what we did, and, and it's all by God and His grace and His glory. But one area that we've missed it, and we're honest with people when they ask, is there is a lethargy for re-engagement in doing ministry. Let me explain what I mean by that. Before COVID, at the Sugar Grove campus alone, 75% of our people were actively engaged in a ministry outside of Sunday morning worship. 
75%. That's an incredible number, a wonderful number. Three quarters of our people are involved in serving the Lord. Post-COVID, we went back, first of all, to that 75%, and then we went to new people and others, and that number, listen to me, has dropped below 45%. We can't get people to move. We ask, you talk with Monica, you talk with Phil, you talk with Mario and their areas of ministry. We talk with our women's and men's ministry leaders. And, and what do we hear? We hear the answer, no. Why? Because we got a break and we became comfortable in that warm spot of our spiritual bed. And we said, you know what? I, I don't have to serve and get the, the abundance of life from Christianity. I can hang back and be a receiver not a giver. And that lethargy, be careful, may be the first steps of our church becoming spiritually apathetic without us knowing it. Now I'm going to step off of my soapbox, okay? Familiarity, monotony, mediocrity, lethargy. Are these things that are true about your relationship with Jesus Christ? Be careful. Now, let's face it. At some point or another, we get bored with God. We get bored with God. We get bored with all that we're a part of. And what we will do right away, I might add, is when we start having that familiarity, monotony, mediocrity, and lethargy, and someone points it out in us and says, you're not as white hot as you used to be, the response isn't what Jesus is going to tell us in the text. That is to look to ourselves we start pointing the finger at other people. Well, if the worship team did a better job, <clears throat> then I might be moved in the spirit. If the preacher was halfway interesting and halfway worthwhile, then maybe I might do it. If the people in my small group or, or the person leading the ministry would do a job better, little do we think that it's not God or the people of God, but could it be ourselves? Some of you are blaming God right now for your apathy. I wrote this down in my notes. I usually don't read verbatim from my notes, but this struck me. For the world to be bored with God is understandable. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, one who believes that God made us, sustains us, saves us, and sanctifies us, as a follower of the one who promises to prepare a place for us, where we will spend all of eternity, the God who knows us and loves us more than anyone else in this world, this God who created everything, seen and unseen, who holds the cosmos in his hands, why would his followers, knowing all this about their God, have him work so hard to engage us? Why is it we are so quick to become bored with the things of God? The church of Laodicea became bored with God. What caused them to do that? To answer that question, we have to ask two questions that Jesus wanted the church at Laodicea to ask. Notice verse 17. First of all, he wants them to ask, where is your sufficiency found? Where is your identity? Notice where the Laodiceans found their identity. He says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Remember, this is the gated community. 
They had everything that they wanted. They were living comfortable lives. And some of us are spiritually apathetic because we have more than we know what to do with. So we are sufficient in our own money, in our own things, in our own plans. We have all that we need and we are identified by those things. Of which God says in verse 18... I'm sorry, verse 17, you're not that. You may be comfortable, but you're corrupt. You're not clothed, you're naked. You're not prosperous, you're pitiful. And we've got to ask the question, where is my identity? Is it in Christ or is it in what I've garnered in my life? The toys, the possessions, the things, the people. Is that where I find it? Notice the second thing, what satisfies me most? God says, listen, you need more help than you realize. And in verse 18, he says, I want you to buy. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you might be rich, white garments so you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and give you salve to anoint your eyes that you might see. You see, there were all these distractions All of these things, good things, maybe some bad things that kept them from their relationship with God. So what's keeping you this morning from having the vibrant relationship that God wants you to have? Now, right away, you'll say, but wait a minute, is it bad to have pursuits? Is it bad to have dreams? Is it bad to want to accomplish something? The answer is no, but it should always lead you back to Jesus. Let me give you a case study of what just recently happened. We've got the Olympics going on. And in the Olympics, we had Sidney McLaughlin, who broke the world record in the 400 hurdles. And she got the gold medal. Talk about the pinnacle of success from an athletic standpoint. And this young lady, I think maybe 21, 22 years of age, this young lady, upon being asked about how great it is to win the gold medal said the following, records come and go. The glory of God is eternal. I no longer run for self-recognition, but to reflect his perfect will that is already set in stone. I deserve, I don't deserve anything, but by grace through faith, Jesus has given me everything. Yeah. Do you see the balance of going after what you believe God has purposed you to go after and to be productive and to be prosperous in that, but to then reflect because what satisfies you most, what you most are identified with is that I am a follower of Jesus Christ first. And what I do in work is second. What I do in my family is second. What I do at school is second. Jesus always, always, always is first and foremost. That makes gold medals something less than God. So what does the author say here? John says that Jesus' response to us is, I love you. Notice verse 19. Those whom I love. So he's not angry with you to the point that he's done with us. He says, I love you. That's why I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. In the middle of that are two words that I think are important zeal, and discipline. 
Whatever our passion is, whatever we are passionate about, not apathetic, he says two things will make you the opposite of apathetic. Zeal, that is passion, and discipline, the hard work to fulfill it. Let's say your desire is to sculpt your body and to, uh, you know, just be the Adonis of things. You want to feel good. You want to look good. That's zeal. That's passion. The problem is many of us have the the zeal and the passion to do that. We don't have the discipline. Amen? All right? Discipline gets you in to the workout area. Discipline makes sure that you don't just look at the equipment. You actually use the equipment. All right? So there's a lot of things we're passionate about. Let me just tell you, many of us are apathetic, not because of our passion, because we would say, I want to be a great follower of Jesus. I want to be a vibrant follower of Christ, but we're not. And the reason why is discipline. I saw this t-shirt this last week, and I couldn't make any sense of it. It said the following. It said, sorry, can't, baseball, buy." <clears throat> I looked at it and I said, well, that's a dumb t-shirt. Sorry, can't, baseball, buy." I'm like, what? what is that? Then I began to understand. What I'm reading is a conversation. Someone has asked the person wearing the t-shirt, hey, can you do this? Can you do that? The response is, sorry, I can't. We have baseball, end of conversation. And I thought about that. And listen, I'm not, I love baseball, so I'm not going after it. But, but I began to ask the question, is that not apathy to the Christian life if it's ever been said? Now, we could change the word. Sorry, can't, fill in the blank, by. And what we have in our text is Jesus on the other line or behind the closed door saying, hey, child of mine, can you serve? Can you give? Can you be engaged in this relationship? And our response is, sorry, Jesus can't fill in the blank goodbye. And whatever that blank is right now, can I just tell you something? If it's keeping you from a vibrant walk with Jesus, no matter how wholesome and family-oriented it may be, it is leading you down a path you don't want to go. Nothing should take the place of Jesus. So every Christ follower, listen to me, and this is what that hurdler got. The Christian should be wearing the t-shirt. Throw it back up there for me. Should be wearing the t-shirt The world says, hey, Tim, can you do this, that, or the other thing? And my response is, sorry, can't, Jesus, bye. I got to focus in on Jesus. I got to remain engaged with Jesus. And then the response of many things. There's a lot of people that, you know, church attendance is is down. Used to be 80% of people would go to church every week. Now we're down to like 40%. Why? Because the response to Christ and the fellowship of God's people and the worship of Christ with God's people is gone because we say, sorry, can't fill in the blank. We're not there. Apathy is all around us. It's a cancer. We need help to resolve it. And I'm so thankful Jesus in his love says, I want to help you. So he gives us a specific cure. Let's land the plane. It'd be easy for Jesus just to give us a list. I've been really trying hard not to give you a list. Here's why. We do really good at day one of lists, right? But day 10 into the list, we become apathetic. 
So what I want you to do is I want you to pray and, and I want you to join me in asking the Lord to give us a lifestyle. And I want to give you some lifestyles that you have not list of things to do. So what do we see for the church at Laodicea? Jesus gives four prescriptions to them and to us. First of all, prescription one, look at your life. In verse 15, he says, I know your works. Do you know your works? Have you evaluated what your life is when it comes to Jesus? When was the last time you took a hard look and asked the question, Lord, am I on fire for you? Or am I simply going through the motions? Am I doing what my parents did? Am I doing what my spouse does? Am I doing what my kids do? Or am I here because I want to be here because I want to show you my love and affection? How do you do that? Let me tell you how I do it. Four C's. Oh, surprise, surprise. Tim has four C's. Four C's. I look at my calendar. How am I spending my time? I look at my checkbook. Would anybody who found my checkbook in a parking lot know that I'm a Christian by what's in the checkbook registry? Am I spending my money on the things of this world or on the things of the Lord? Number three, on my conversation. Anybody who has a conversation with me, would they know that I'm on fire for Jesus or am I talking about everything else under the sun? And number four, my commitments. What's garnering most of my thinking? What's getting the most of my bandwidth? What gets me up in the morning? Those four things should be a constant evaluation of whether or not we're walking side by side, hand in hand with our Lord and Savior. Number two, Listen to your physician. In verse 22, he says, He who has an ear, that's all of us, let him hear. Dr. Jesus is calling us to repent. He's calling us to change directions. He's calling us to live differently. What that's going to mean is the third thing, and that is letting go of the distractions. What is the thing? What is that line on that t-shirt motto that you have? Sorry can't fill in the blank, but it's not Jesus. If you're saying no to Jesus and yes to something else, brothers and sisters, you need to repent of that and you need to get rid of that distraction because it's keeping you from the abundant life that Jesus wants us to have. Number four, we need to lean into our relationship with Christ. Verse 20, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. Now, this verse is used to bring people into a saving relationship with Jesus. It's a total misrepresentation of what's happening. Jesus is talking to believers, and he's standing at the door of believers, and he's saying, I want a fellowship with you. I want to hang out with you. I want to teach you. I want to lead you. I want to guide you, and I'm at the door, and I'm knocking. Will you let me in? Or are you so apathetic that Jesus is just going to stand out in the cold? He's going to stand out in the dark of your life. And, and when you're ready and when you need him, maybe you'll let him in. Jesus is saying, now is the time. I want you to lean into your relationship with me. And he doesn't do it. Listen to me. He's not knocking on the door so he can yell at you when he gets inside. He says, I want to dine with you. And I want to be with you. And I want to love on you. And I want to show you how much I care for you. And I want to show you how much there is in a relationship with me. Will you let me in? That's the question all of us have to answer. 
And what I love about this being the first Sunday of the month is the Sunday we participate in communion because what Jesus will remind us of when we let him in is all that he did and all that he's doing for us so that we might be his children. So Jesus will remind us that he came and put on flesh and made his dwelling among us. He'll remind us that he endured hardships and struggles. He'll remind us that he went to the cross and died with us in mind to save us from our sins. He'll remind us that he sent the Holy Spirit to indwell us so that we might have a vibrant walk with him. He now is preparing a place for us so that one day he can take us to be with him forever. When you invite Jesus in, Jesus will remind you of all the things that he's done and is doing and will do for you. And so I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and we're going to pivot to a time of communion, which is a perfect ending to a message like this. For us to be reminded of all that God did, God in Christ was not apathetic. He gave it his all. He left it all on Calvary so that you and I might be saved. And now that we're saved, have we lost our first love? Is there some repenting that needs to be done? I want you to take a couple moments. They're going to play underneath our time of meditation. And just let's do some business with our God and ask the question, do I need help with apathy? Has it gone on long too long, has gone on too long and gone too far? Are there things I need to repent of? Let's spend some time asking those questions.